Good morning, good afternoon, and I tell you good night whenever you're listening to this. Folks, do we have a special one for you today? A little different where this gentleman actually started in the real estate industry, found out that investing in real estate with his platform could create multiple advantages. Mitch, do you want to talk a little bit more? Yeah, our guest today, uh, I've known him for about a year now, and he's been helpful to me, and I know he's super knowledgeable, super intelligent guy. Uh, it's really cool to hear his story. It's pretty interesting how he got started. Pretty uncommon, I would say, but I had a big takeaway from this episode today and the fact that just his advice for people getting started it also helped me a lot too in not spending time on bad deals and wasting time looking at a deal for too long. Um, you know, there's a good example of a 32 unit we've been looking at for a long time and tried to negotiate for a long time. And um, you know, that resonated well with me and I think it probably will with a lot of other people. And he's certainly uh, got some impressive deals that he's done, $24 million, uh, hundred unit syndication that he's uh, just took down and is almost completed with and renting. So um, certainly inspiring. He's a pretty young guy. And, um, you know, I'm excited for people to hear this one. Yeah. I don't mean to stop you, but let's get right into it. Let's do it. Welcome, everybody, into another episode of Time to Get Shit Done. Again, Greg Porch, your host. I'm joined here with my co-host, Mitch Howard. Mitch, how are we doing today? Doing fast, fantastic. Thank you, Greg. How are you? That's all. I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate you asking. And I know uh, that you brought on a really special guest for us here today. Would you mind uh, taking the honors here? Of course. Uh, our guest today is Alex Soundy. Alex, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, man? Good. Appreciate you guys having me. We are excited to have you on here and bring the people some value today. So why don't you give the listeners a quick rundown on who you are and a, what exactly you do? Yeah, so Alex Soundy, I live here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Really passionate about real estate. I'm a commercial real estate broker with a boutique firm here, Bender Commercial. Um, one of the market leaders here in the Sioux Falls market. I specialize in investment properties and also a real estate investor too. I do my own investments on the side. That's kind of what got me into brokerage and been a broker for coming on four years now and started investing in real estate back in, I think, 2015. So time flies. So how you say back in 2015, mm -hmm. did you grow up like with your family having a background in real estate or how did you end up getting then into this industry? Yeah, no, great question. Um, No, no, no family history in real estate. I would say there was a a family friend of ours who is actually the founder of, of our firm. Um, so I'd kind of viewed him as a professional in the community and someone I looked up to. So real estate was always kind of an interest to me, but frankly, never even thought about getting into it. Went to college, majored in finance and marketing and had the dream of kind of chasing and doing the Fortune 500 thing. Started my career working for C.H. Robinson, which is a third-party transportation and logistics company. Um, 
And then honestly, like most people you'll probably interview on this podcast, one day I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and things just clicked to me. And actually it was my love for, for sports betting that kind of got me initially mm. into real estate. I was 23 years old, had just won some money in a FanDuel lineup randomly and kind of didn't know what to do and happened to have just finished Rich Dad Poor Dad two weeks prior. And I go into work and everyone's like, man, what are you going to do? You're going to go buy a new truck. You're going to buy a four-wheeler, take a vacation. And I'm like, actually, I think I'm going to buy a rental house. And everyone's like, that's super boring. Like, why would you do that? And I said, eh, start getting some some cash flowing assets and residual income and see where it goes. And bought my first single family rental and had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. I remember closing and walking in, getting the keys. And I'm like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? Like put this on Zillow or something and spend way too much time getting it ready and kind of fixing up little pointless things that didn't need to be fixed and ended up throwing it online and getting a tenant and all of a sudden started making some cash. I was like, that's pretty cool. Six months later, bought a duplex, did the same thing and kind of never stopped and kind of realized real estate was where I wanted to be when I started buying these these single family rentals and, and duplexes. I was taking Michael Bender, who's the founder of the firm that I knew was in real estate out to coffee and lunch probably twice a year just to pick his brain on things. And those conversations over time turned into go get your real estate license and come work for me. And that happened and the rest is history. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, probably a lot of us started the same way as you winning a big parlay or whatever it may be on a lineup on FanDuel. Um, But seriously, I think a lot of people, and this is just my opinion, but and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, because people can start in real estate in so many different ways. And I'm sure that you know that Mm -hmm. being now in it for over eight years um, is that you have money that you don't necessarily know what to do with. Maybe you're at a corporate job and they're matching your 401k and you're maxing it out and you're contributing to a Roth IRA and you're maxing that out. Okay, now I have an extra... 35 grand a year. What the hell do I do with this? Um, I think that's, I guess we didn't ask, right. But that's where I got started was I just had a little bit of extra money. Um, and what the hell do I do with it? Um, right. and so that second, like that duplex that you got then was that still riding the coattails of that fan duel, uh, deal, or did you do anything special with like the financing, uh, or cash out on that single family that you got to start? Yeah, no, great question. Um, I didn't have to cash out. Actually, I've been fortunate to been able to maintain equity in a lot of my deals and I've sold and rolled that equity into other properties, but I've, I've never never done a cash out refi to, to purchase another property, thankfully. Um, totally open to it if, if the right opportunity presented itself. But you know, I think it was, I had some other cash on the side. And I think once I proved to myself that I could, I could, do a, do a single family and make a cash flow, and it was fun. I was like, all right, I, I can do this. And my uh, buddy, who was the realtor at the time, kind of gave me an off-market duplex and put it under contract. Almost walked away from the contract half a dozen times, like anyone that's buying real estate does. They put some under contract, and they, you know, especially in early stages, your first couple ones, you're 
trying to walk away from it thinking, man, it might, it might be a dumb looking back. That was one of the best properties I ever bought from a cash flow and value standpoint and ended up sticking it through. And um, yeah, so I've been creative with some of my financing and I've done some contract for deeds um, on some properties and um, utilize some creative financing definitely um, on some different deals too, as an investor. So for the novice, can you explain what you're talking about when you're talking about like doing a contract on a deed? Yeah. So this is kind of a unique situation that came up actually from my brokerage. Um, worked with the client, helped lease some some retail space for him. Found out that the the owner had no debt on this property, so mm. owned it completely outright um, with a couple siblings that were older. And he had talked to me about potentially selling his property. It was it's actually a three properties. It was a 12 tenant mall and a 6,000 square foot office building. And then an 11,000 square foot office building that all sat um, adjacent to each other. And when looking at his rent roll, realizing that his family built this property back in the early nineties, they had no true leases left any, anymore. Everything was on like a napkin lease. So when from a brokerage standpoint, when valuing this property for him, there's not a ton of value there when you have a property that essentially all the tenants can walk away the next month and you're left holding the bag for this property. I kind of explained that to him. I said, Hey, look, I can sell this thing for you, but you need to give me, you know, 18 months to let me negotiate new leases with your tenants and find new tenants for this property. So we have something to market. And he said, okay. And I said, well, otherwise, since you have no debt on it, I'd be interested in buying this from you on a contract for deed, which back to your original question is just having the seller finance the property. Essentially, you can bring to the table. And usually when you're buying something from a bank, the bank's going to require you to put 20 to 25, sometimes 30% down on the property. And when you're negotiating and doing a contract for deed direct with the seller, you can be a little more creative and, and put 10% down or 5% down or whatever you agree upon because there's yeah. no you know debt servicing ratio that the bank's requiring. So we were able to kind of negotiate some terms and I actually partnered on it with another broker in my office. Um, and it's been fun. I mean, we were able to negotiate good terms in the past 18 months. Now we've just spent doing what we do as a full-time job, which is brokering. We've been able to fill you know, up the mall, renegotiate a lot of tenants. And the plan is to build that equity and then do a cash out refi once uh, our contract for deed terms come up and, you know, you just create free equity. I think we ended up putting like 8% down on the property. And the plan is just to get, you know, the 20, 22% of sweat equity and refi with the bank and roll on to something else. Yeah. And that's uh benefits to being a broker. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely <laughs> benefits. And that's something that I wanted to like ask about here as I was thinking about doing this today. Cause I myself am currently taking classes to get my real estate license, uh, mm -hmm. just via a master's program that I'm doing. And just so coincidentally, I get credit hours and I get uh the credits to take the real estate exam. Woohoo. Oh. 
like, so you started doing the investing portion of this first and then in what year yeah. did you, I know you said, then you went to, um, got your license. What year was that? 2019, 2019. I mean, do you find it just so much easier to be able to get like, obviously an off market deal is so much nicer. Um, you know, from our perspective, because there's, you're not in it, right. Um, right. There, there's not 7% that needs to go to broker A and broker B or whoever it may be. Do you find mm -hmm. it like just incredibly advantageous for, and I don't want to say for everyone to just go out and get their real estate license because you'd still have to, I believe, get hired by a brokerage or right. a real estate firm. And then is there any limit to how long you have to be there um, before you can start either representing yourself or um, just like taking these off-market deals for yourself and running if you see the opportunity? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's a, it makes sense. And it's a good question. I'd say... Um, you know, there's definitely benefits to being a broker. You have the first opportunity to see deals. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good balance too, though, because I represent a lot of investors specializing in investment properties. So, you know, I'm trying to bring them all the best deals that I can too. So um, you're definitely kind of walking a line with, you know, if you're actively buying property and then you bring a property to an investor and they say, well, you invest in real estate. Why didn't you buy this? Right. So, you know, there's, there's that battle. And um, in those situations too, I mean, I've invested with my clients on properties before too, just to show them that, look, there is value here. And, you know, the nice thing about having various amounts of clients, there's different clients that like all different types of assets too. But um I would say for the most part, yes, it's been great to be a broker, to get good leads. And to your question on how long it takes to be at the firm until a firm allows you to take off market deals. And I mean, that, that just depends on the firm and it depends on the conversation you have with the responsible broker there. Um, I would say from a brokerage standpoint, I'm always going to try to represent myself in a transaction as well as purchase the transaction too. That way I can, you know, the time I'm investing in that transaction, my firm is being, being compensated for that, for that time too. That's just how I conduct it. Um, I mean, technically sure. if you have a license, you don't have to even do the transaction through the firm. You don't even have to be licensed to buy the real estate, right? I mean, if you're a broker and you find an off-market deal, you can purchase that deal without going through, you know, your firm if you'd want, because you're just purchasing it as yourself or a separate entity. Um, it's not like the transaction needs to go through um, a brokerage firm, but so there's a couple of different ways to do it, but I'd say the, the best thing um, about being a real estate professional is the, the tax benefits of it. Um, a lot of people don't think about that. Everyone thinks about real estate's great for, for cash flow, which it is. And then, you know, appreciation, that's great too. And if you're a real estate professional, you get the benefits of unlimited depreciation too. Um, whereas someone that's not considered a real estate professional is capped on the amount of depreciation they can take against their bottom line income every year. Whereas someone, everyone says and talks about Donald Trump and his taxes and how Donald Trump's never paid his taxes in the last how many years. It's like, yes, that's because Donald Trump's a real estate professional. 
And the way that tax law is written is there's benefits to being a real estate professional. The fact that he doesn't pay taxes is smart. If he paid taxes, then it's like, well, he's not as smart as people would think, right? So don't have a don't have a great account. Exactly. Not not being political or anything. I'm just saying, like, that's the reality of it, is there's huge tax benefits to being a real estate professional. So yeah. And uh you mentioned depreciation and I just want to make sure that I'm correct on this. And maybe I'm wrong. I tend to be wrong, but I don't believe you're ever wrong. Thank you, sir. I believe in 2027, the ability to depreciate assets, like the way that it's set out legally right now is going to switch to where you can only do, um, what's the end of year? What's the end yeah. of year tax? Uh, so what you're, so I think, I'm I think what, you're, what you're referring to is, I think it was in two. 2017, I think, maybe 2016, um, the new tax law to be able to do cost segregation studies where you could take bonus depreciation on purchases um, yes. was put into place. So for example, you could normally the way residential real estate, so multifamily or an investment house depreciates on a 27 and a half year straight line schedule. So for simple purposes, if you have a $275,000 single family house, you can depreciate $10,000 every year over 27 and a half years. And for other commercial properties, non-residential, it depreciates on a 39-year straight line depreciation schedule. Now, with the benefits of a cost segregation study, you can hire a professional firm, usually a CPA firm that performs these studies where they go onto the property and they say, okay, the concrete there depreciates on a five-year schedule and your light fixtures depreciate on an eight-year schedule and your carpet depreciates on a six-year. And they basically go into your property and they give you a huge bonus depreciation where you can take up to 50, 60, 70, 80% depreciation that first year. Um, so that is expiring in 2027. I believe last year in 2022 was our last year to take 100% full depreciation. 2023, it's 80%. And it drops off 20% every year until 2027. Yep. And people will have to, but they can still take advantage of this sort of through a, is it a 579? You know that I'm not sure. I mean, people are still gonna be able to take advantage of depreciation in general. Um, but in terms of the bonus depreciation that is is being cut back, right. unless you know we have some some policy changes from a change in a change in our uh, our government here over the next couple of years, and that very well could get extended too. So, so Alex, looking at you know you started with single family, got into some small multifamily, got into some commercial. What does the portfolio look like today? And what kind of deals are you looking for at this point? Yeah. Um, portfolio today is a mix of, you know, still hold the duplex, couple single families and a couple fourplexes. Um, personally, um, I'm in that partnership with one of my coworkers for the mall and the two office buildings. Um, I'm a limited partner or minority partner with a couple of my clients on a couple of their their multifamily or office developments. And then most recently, um, a client of mine who's a builder in town and another 
client of mine who's a property manager in town, we just finished raising capital for a hundred unit townhome syndication that we're um, bringing to the market here in Sioux Falls. So we're actually going to be getting occupancy on our first couple of units the first of the first of March. So that's been exciting. That's been the whole capital raise thing was was new to me. I mean, mostly all the deals I had done prior were either myself individually or partnering with somebody, um, not really raising any capital. So this was our first crack at that. And it was it was fun. We had to raise project size was $24 million and we raised $7 million of capital with from limited partners on that. And um it was it was fun. It was a new adventure. And I see us doing more of that because you know we selling shares or bringing limited partners in on syndication deals really allows you to kind of expand the horizon. I'm not going to go build a $24 million multifamily project by myself. No bank's going to, no bank's going to jump on board with that, but you know, you know, win some more fan duel lineups. Yeah. Then maybe, maybe. (laughs) So um, I'd say right now, my portfolio or my, what I look for in the future, I mean, I'm just looking for, for good deals. I mean, I'm not, I like multifamily multifamily is one where I specialize a lot of my time, but you know, retail office, industrial land development of, if something makes sense, I'm always open to looking at it and moving towards that. Right. I think you have pros and cons with each sector. Um, mm-hmm. You know, your retail office, your triple net lease type of stuff is yep. a little bit more, let's quote unquote, this guaranteed um, type of money coming in. Your multifamily, your class C, class B, maybe that you're taking a risk and seeing if you can fix all this stuff up and do what you've done with a single family home at scale. Uh, you know, with 50, 100, 200 units or whatever that may be, bringing stuff up to market rents, optimizing. Um, and then you have like, right, just your single family home or even your smaller multifamily family duplexes where you can house hack a duplex, just live on one side, right. rent the other side out. Um, do the same with single family. And, and then you got people in college always never want to live. Uh, some people want to live in the dorms, I guess, but people don't want to live at home with their parents because if you're that person right. in college living at home with their parents, Bonafide loser. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so people are looking for, you know, maybe a single family home, whether maybe it's a party house in a party area. So you find yeah. pros and cons with each um, different sector, just make sure you're not overpaying for things and losing uh, your hiney or you will have a very short lived career in real estate. Yeah. I'd say you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the, it all just comes back to, does not make sense? I mean, at the end of the day, does it make sense? Like develop a model for how you underwrite property and learn to do it quickly um, and not waste your time on, there's a lot of deals out there that don't make sense that people oh, yeah. waste a lot of time underwriting and digging into. And if you waste too much time on a lot of bad deals, I mean, you only have so much time in a day. So learning to underwrite properties quickly and just figuring out what makes sense for you. What does your return need to look like? And what do you want in your portfolio? Mm-hmm. And I think mentorship is huge too. Um, find someone that you look up to that's had a sex, successful career. What did they do? Find someone that will answer your questions that you can go to and say, hey, here's kind of the analysis I put together on this property. Does it make sense? No, Alex, that's stupid. You're an idiot. Okay, I won't do it. Or actually, you know, that that looks like a good deal. Okay, sweet. 
stamp of approval. Let's go. I mean, you need mentorship. Definitely. Yeah. And I got so sick and tired of hearing the first thing of what you just said there that I decided to uh, finally do something right. Um, and I know you said that Michael Bender, sorry. I know you said that Michael yep. Bender then was your mentor. Um, yeah. Another thing that you had mentioned earlier was like on the, you know, dipping your toes in the syndication water, let's call it, um, raising $7 million. It's no small feat. So where did you find yourself finding most of that money? Is it with clients that you know, just in the real estate? Are you reaching out to people that you know, maybe that are making more money and buddies? Or are you reaching out? Are you going to like young professional events? Or where does a lot of that come from? Yeah, so good question. Um, so when raising capital and syndications, you know, you're so there's you can do a 506B or a 506C. 506C is a structure where you can do general solicitation, but it's limited to accredited investors only. So people, the people you're able to sell to or sell shares to have to have a, a net worth of over a million dollars or make on average a quarter million dollars as a single person or $300,000 as a, as a married couple a year. So you're having to target a little more high net worth people. Um, you know, and that comes from, you know, just, yeah, whether it's clients or um, just people, you know, in the community and frankly, their, their sphere as well. I mean, I would say the first couple million was the easiest to raise because that's friends, family, people, you know, you go have a beer with and know that you've been successful or you've been doing the real estate deals and selling to a limited partner is someone that says, Hey, buy a share in this partnership. Here's the return you'll get and hands off. You don't have to touch anything. It's mailbox money. Right. Um, so that first couple of million is the easiest. And then once you've kind of reached out from that sphere, it's like, okay, now I'm asking the people that invested, if they know people that have invested and, and, um, just really branching out and, and having partners too, that have other, you know, other networks too. So we had myself yeah. as a general partner, the, the builder was one of the general partners. And then the property manager was the third general partner. So we had, you know, three of us kind of going out and attacking our networks and um, it, it was fun, but it was that last, that last million was, that was tough. <laughs> you talked to a lot of people you've talked to a lot of people and there's pressure from the bank on, Hey, you got 3.95% locked in for financing. You need to close by this date. And we all saw what was happening to the interest rates over the last nine months. And it's like, man, we got to go. And we did it and we closed yeah. and it was great. But yeah, I mean, it's just, just a network is, is where that kind of comes from. Sure. And that's, I mean, for the people watching, for the people listening, I mean, attending, your um, local real estate meetups, getting on the Facebook group that, uh, you know, for me, Lincoln or Omaha is offering, talking to the people that are running those, uh, meeting their network, seeing who they use for their broker, seeing who they use for construction. Uh, the construction people I've found, and I think Mitch has found as well, uh, usually have money to invest as well. So, um, yeah, and that was an, another avenue too. 
reaching out to a lot of the subcontractors that are yeah. working on the job. I mean, you know, invest in the property that you're you're working on. I mean, that's those are pretty those are pretty easy sells, um, especially in this market. All those contractors are pretty flush right now. So, yeah, and uh, a lot of them are looking for work right now too. Uh, it seems <laughs> I think over the past four months we've seen such a dynamic shift on we can't take any work to we need work now. So it's yeah, it's been an interesting ride. I suppose these past few months, and you've probably seen it more than we have, uh, being a kind of the forefront of maybe people taking listings off or people not buying now as much. So, um, no, it's, it's super good information. I'm glad that I didn't have to ask to you to elaborate on any of this stuff. Cause, um, not only until recently, right. Was I knowing what a 506 B and a 506 C was. So I'm sure most of the people listening, um, would have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so there's the first death bomb. And maybe they still are. Maybe I didn't yeah. explain it well enough. I don't know. Hey, it's you uh, Google, right? People can Google it. People do love Google. Chat GPT, I believe the open AI source now is available for people to use. So 506 B is in boy, 506 C is in Charlie. Uh if you guys need to 506 C general solicitation, 506 B. You can't market friends and family. You can have some, you can, I think you can have up to 35 non-credit investors with a 506B, which would have been frankly nice um, in hindsight, you know, because I would say most of our capital came from that friends and family pool. And there was quite a few investors that wanted to invest, had the capital to invest, but didn't quite qualify as an accredited investor. And with the 506C, there's pretty extensive documentation we have to have on file yeah. um, for our credit investors. So that was kind of limiting. So in hindsight, I probably would have done a 506B. Um, it's just a little more laid back and we didn't really utilize the full solicitation to its full, for all the benefits. We weren't really posted on a bunch of websites, doing a bunch of email yeah. blasts and throwing up any billboards or anything. So yep. anyway. Yeah, the 506B, yeah, they're up to 35. Um, no solicitations. So you can't post that anywhere. If the SEC finds out about that, I think you're screwed. No, no. Um, and then with the 506B, I don't know if it's the same for the 506C. Um, but if you have somebody investing 20% or more, then they become a GP on the deal. Um, right. So either, anywho, anywho, uh, what, what type of returns are you getting for, for this one, for example, or even for future ones, what are you projecting or what are you targeting for your internal rate of return for investors? Yeah. So on this deal, our internal rate of return was right around 15% with about a 14% cash on cash. Um, and for our limited partners, we had an 8% preferred return. So generally in our market, I mean, you see a lot of the larger developers have a six or a seven percent preferred return with, with like a seventy thirty split. Yeah. Um, it, with this being kind of our first project, we wanted to reward you know our investors on the front end, so we had an eighty twenty split. So eighty percent of the the deals owned by the limited partners, twenty percent would be owned by our the general partners, and then we had an eight percent preferred return. We just wanted to, hey, there's a bunch of proven developers out there that are raising capital, like we want your money. 
over them. Like, let's reward you for, for kind of investing with us on the first deal. And, you know, the ones that jumped in and trusted us, and I think this project's going to be great. Um, they're going to be our first calls on deals going forward. So. Yeah. You get it right the first time and you've got them for life. So you get one and you get one first opportunity. If you, yeah. if you lose people money on your first deal, good luck on having it's any not, other. So, yeah. You're not getting their next million. Sorry. No. Interesting. So looking back, Alex, is there anything that you would have done different from 2015 to where you're at now? Is there any, any mistakes that you made that you look like looking back, you think you would have done completely different in your career? It's a great question. And I've made a ton of mistakes. I'm sure. Um, God, I would say, I mean, I, I feel like I've been, been fortunate to, to fall into some good situations in my life. And I, but I'd say if there was one thing that I wish I would have learned earlier in my career, both from a, from an investor standpoint and a, and a broker standpoint is, is learn to use your time properly and learn to not waste it from an investor standpoint. I kind of touched on it earlier, but learn to, to underwrite a deal quickly, or at least the 10,000 foot over the broad strokes, like know if, if, a, if you're investing in a market and, you know, a seller is giving a really huge pro forma, but the price per unit is 20%, 25% over the, the market. And you just know that that's not a good deal. Just from the broad strokes of the deal, don't waste your time on it. Don't dig into the numbers and do financial modeling and think, can I make this work? If deals are trading for $100,000 a unit and they're listed at $130,000 a unit, and it's don't waste your time, like value your time. And then from a brokerage standpoint, I mean, you know, there's don't waste your time on clients that aren't going to, aren't going to work with you or that are just out there fishing. I mean, the best thing for my brokerage career is I have a list of really good clients that I all consider my friends that, that trust me, that work with me. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are calling 12 different brokers and they think they need to play this game of pin the broker against each other and whoever's going to like, it's not worth your time. If it's you're only as good as the time that you have and what you can do with that time. So, I mean, just, just be sensitive of your time and where you give that value to um, both from investing and from, from with working with clients. It took me a while. Took me a while. I wasted a lot of time on bad deals and a lot of time on clients who, I drove around, I showed things too, and it just came to nothing. So that's probably just the progression and learning too. Mm -hmm. um, that right. Like when I looked at 100%. my first deal, I was like, I never want to use these hands to actually fix a property up myself. I'd rather just write a check uh, with my right hand. Um, but you're glad that you go through it uh, for a multitude of reasons. One to be able to see you're not getting screwed over. Mm -hmm. uh, with the work that they charge you um, to just actually knowing the inner workings of a deal in case anybody ever wants to come to you as you start to grow and, and maybe you can be a mentor to somebody, which sounds like maybe you're well on your way to doing that with, with some people uh, up there in Sioux Falls. Um, but it's nice to know. And like when you start with a new company, you know, start at the bottom and you work your way to the top rather than starting at a middle management level. 
for those that are listening that maybe aren't a middle management level and you came into a company, it's really nice to put yourself in the shoes of the people that are doing the hard labor, uh, the people that are going out and selling, uh, the people that are talking to the customers. Uh, you always want to make sure that you understand the company and the product as fully as you can. Um, so like, I'm glad that you mentioned too, and I think this is a horrible transition, but I'm glad that you mentioned um, like some of your top customers or clients mm -hmm. are like buddies now and everything. How do you, because I'm sure that there's special treatment. I think that it's like, I'm not pointing you out for it. I think every single real estate agent and broker does this when there's a deal coming up and you know that pod, for example, looks for things that are along these lines. How does a guy like Greg or a guy like Mitch get to the top of your list for a certain uh, sector or certain area of real estate like that you know? How does somebody get to the top of your list for you to bring them deals consistently that ne haven't necessarily hit the market? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I get asked that question a lot. Um, and, you of course. Know, and I would just say, I mean, <laughs> you know, obviously there's clients that have performed and you know perform and, and you know the way they handled working through due diligence from beginning to end. And, you know, in a position of a broker, you know, we're 100% commission based. There's no, there's... <laughs> we eat what we kill, right? There's no, there's no fallback if we're not selling things. Yeah. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, I want to put myself in the best position to, to get a deal done. Um, and, and there's plenty of clients that, that deals work. So it's just not uncommon for a, for a deal to come across my desk and um, send it to all my, all my clients and say, Hey, like, here's this opportunity just so you know, and just be upfront. Like I'm sending this to a, to a half a dozen or a dozen people. Yeah. Um, if you have interest, let me know. And have I been in situations where I've had to put offers for multiple clients on the same property? Yes. And does that suck sometimes? Yeah. Cause you have to tell a client at the end of the day, like you didn't get it. But I think as long as you're being transparent on the front end and say, Hey, you know, at the end of the day, professionals get it. Right. I mean, if I, yeah. you know, come to you guys and, and say, Greg, Mitch, I have this great off-market opportunity. Like I'm sending this to both of you guys. Um, and Greg's deal points at the end of the day, I'm not the one selling the property, you know, and you just got to remind them that like, Hey, what work with each client in the silo and, and let them know, you know, where you think the value is. But at the end of the day, where, what do you want to offer? What what deal structure do you want to present? And I will present that deal structure to the seller. At the end of the day, it's not me making the decision on what offer to accept. And I think most clients get that. So I'd say if if people reach out to me, I'll always tell them, you know, I'll have a good conversation with every new potential client. Like, what are you looking for? Like, yeah, what type of what type of asset are you looking for? for what type of class some people only want value add some people only want class a turnkey some people only want industrial property some people only want retail like i just kind of have a database and understanding of what each client wants and then when i have an opportunity in that asset class or that fits that profile get all the data about the, the opportunity and i'll send it to people and i just try to be as upfront as i can with everybody now is there situations where 
maybe I don't send it to everyone and I just send it to one client because it fits their mold perfectly. Absolutely. So I'd say <laughs> the more deals I do with people, the more I trust them and, and the more preferential treatment they probably get. But I try to give everyone an opportunity. And, so. I, and I, yeah, and I think that's kind of the end. What you said there is kind of where for I wanted to at least stamp that into potential investors or people are listening to this uh, into their head that like it's right back to that first impression thing, right? If you don't make money on a first indication deal, then I'm not going to invest my money with you again. If right. you're if you're known for just taking me around on car rides and looking at places and never closing on a deal, then I'm not going to waste my time with you. And that's me saying that, not you. So make sure I'm clear with that, Alex. Um, <laughs> but I just want to make sure that I'll give everyone time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, gives you the opportunity and they're all <laughs> going to give an opportunity. Like just don't waste a broker's or a realtor's time. Like they have, they have the pulse of the market. Like they know what's going on before stuff hits the market. They know what's going on from high level investors to low level investors. Like, just show up to real estate meetings, get intertwined with the real estate community in your area. If investing in real estate is what you want to do, again, we just want to try and promote how you guys can be getting side hustles, uh, how you can be getting extra money on top, maybe of your W-2 job, or maybe if you mm -hmm. want to make this your full-time business. So with that being said, Alex, it's getting pretty late. I can see the sun kind of uh, going down there in the background for you. Not yeah. really, but <laughs> really appreciate you coming on and- um, well. I know for me that it's time to go. And Mitch, what time is it? It is time to get shit done. Alex, thank you so much. This <laughs> has been extremely valuable and I'm excited for everybody to hear this. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing me on and um, look forward to chatting in the future. Choppers are throw away. Hustle the overway. That's why they follow me, huh? They think I know the way. Cause I took control of things. Ball in the solo way. And if you pattern my trend, I make you my protege. Slossing that soldier race.